So the 37s was one of the four season one episodes that was held back for season two. Yes, uh, that wh- is correct. Initiations was another one of them. No, it wasn't actually. It was, I believe it was the first episode that was filmed exclusively for the second season. Okay, so it's not like the first four episodes. It's just more smattered through. Okay, that makes uh, no sense. No, and I, but... think, I think I said uh, last week, the week before, so it was the 37s, an episode called Projections, an episode called Elosium, and I believe an episode called Twisted. Now, they're kind of interspersed, I think, throughout the first six or eight episodes okay. of season two. So it's not like you're going to get all four in a row. Yeah. Now they did now they did design the 37s to actually be the season finale and I think oh. that you can see that. Yeah, I guess I can kind of see that. I feel like especially with prime factors that this theme of here is a place that could be our home and that we could make our home but uh we wish to actually go back to our real home and make that ri- like I see that being one of the big themes of the series that could keep recurring or a style of plot for the series just as we'll have holodeck episodes or Kazon episodes yeah no i think that's right and i i I think that in in a certain sense the 37s is maybe them deciding to start to go away from that i don't know i think Mm -hmm. maybe the idea is that if you look at this episode and you say okay this was designed as the season finale and for whatever reason paramount or upn decided to hold back Four episodes of the show, yeah. primarily, I assume, for budgetary reasons, because the first season, I think, did run over quite a bit. The, the, the Interestingly enough, the 37s of the four episodes was also the only one that had any location shooting. The other three mm. were bottle shows, which, I, as I understand, was another reason why they did not air them in order, because they didn't want to start out with yeah, yeah, yeah. the 37s and then have three bottle shows, because Initiations has that nice location shooting once again. So if you look at it and you say, okay... This I think it's a it would have been a better season finale than Learning Curve. Learning Curve is kind of a weird place to end the season. And I think if you look at it in terms of what is the arc of the first season. Yeah. Well, it seems to be two things. Number one, the Maquis and the Starfleet personnel becoming comfortable with each other. And I think that was pretty much resolved in Learning Curve. That seems to be where yeah. that story was going. Now it may crop up again. Aseska is still out there, for example, but she was never really a Maquis, so that's a side issue. But, and then I think you can say, okay, well, the 37s is them kind of coming to terms with the idea that they don't want to just land on a planet and stay there. They want to go back to Earth or Vulcan or wherever they're from. So, in that sense, I think it makes a better season finale. I don't know See, I if it's, find I disagree because I, I did like Learning Curve as a season finale just because it was such a weird season finale, but it led to a feeling of even though we started in this weird place, even though things are very fucked up and we may never get home, we're at least learning how to work together and where, you know, uh, learning curve was basically about making the best of a bad situation. And that was a fine note to end the season on. Um, This is something that feels, I feel a little less strongly because I just watched the season finale and I'm just starting season two already, but if you give it the summer for the show to not be around, uh, the 37s reiterates that theme of we're in space, we're lost, we desperately want to get home, but we're still going to go on that. And now that we know we're still on our journey, here's season two. I think it works kind of, and it does work to me in that sense. If it is the season finale, it does kind of make prime factors seem very redundant because that episode hit a lot of, a lot of similar notes. 
Yeah, I mean, I can certainly see that argument for the 37s in the placement of, of the first episode of the second season. And I, I, I certainly don't think that... I mean, I don't know that it would have played well yeah. either as the season finale or the season opener, frankly. I mean, it's not a great episode. I I like the second half of it a lot better than the first half. I mean, yes. well, I... we needed... <laughs> well, we we need to dispense with the Amelia Earhart stuff because yeah. it it is extremely goofy even by Star Trek standards and Star Trek has never been a franchise that has shied away from being goofy. Uh, yeah, I mean, how are you feeling about I mean, <laughs> oh god. Well, it, it it's just a I was reminded of that. Was it a season one TNG episode where the 1980s people got on Frozen? Uh, the, neut- the neutral zone, yeah. Yeah, oh God, that was the season finale of season one of the, oh God. Oh God, like I, what I remember from the neutral zone is that very end, well, we're back, that never really gets uh, followed up on, but oh God, I just, the Texas people. This wasn't as bad as the Texas people from TNG, but um, I don't know, as a as a kid, I was really fascinated by the Amelia Earhart thing, and as an adult, I think I've I think I long got that out of my system. So there are some personal reasons why I found it a little annoying, but that's not the interesting part of the episode. The interesting parts of the episode is what is the civilization like? They were enslaved and you know broke the ch- their chains and you know revolted and made a new society based on the old values of earth which in and you know they developed along the same lines that humanity did in the star trek you know like i'm really curious to see these cities i'm curious to meet these people this is the really interesting thing and it's dispensed within a captain's log yeah and that's kind of the problem with with the episode in general is that yeah. you don't you don't see the cities they say they're wonderful they say they've got a thriving human civilization that, like you said, has developed yeah. along the same lines as the Federation. Apparently, they've gotten rid of poverty and war. Okay, that seems fine. I guess you can do that sort of thing when you have 100,000 people on an entire planet. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, I kind of, I mean, I get why they yeah. didn't show the cities. It was the it was designed as the season finale of a season that had gone way over budget. Caretaker was yeah, way yeah. over budget. The entire season was just very expensive. And as I understand it, the cities part of it didn't come into the script until very late in the process. So they basically had no time to even tell the art department to create yeah, a map yeah. painting of a city and come up with some sort of set that they could go to, even if it was just like the uh, city hall. A banquet hall scene and we're eating and it's a part. Yeah, like. Right. And so I kind of get your point that it's a little bit, it, it, it's a little bit of a cheat to say, wow, they've got these wonderful cities and we don't get to see them. And I also, guess you just kind of, yeah. it's like a radio show, essentially. Of course. yeah. Again, it didn't bother me that much, but also the the conflicts of this episode are largely, I mean, it is very Star Trek that everything is either a misunderstanding that, um, Amelia Earhart's, uh, navigator, I forget his name, but is Fred, that Fred is just acting out of, out of very reasonable terror. And that when he has a chance to calm down and they are able to talk him, you know, everyone becomes reasonable that the, uh, people who are shooting at them turn out to be just, mistaken and they believe that they're you know bad but once everybody sits down and realizes hey we're on the same side everybody's great friends like the conflicts felt very padded in a way i would have preferred this to just be a hangout episode in that way again either have hanging out with amelia Earhart, and we're talking about the and you have a lot of great moments where janeway and amelia could be talking about that i because i really liked their interactions with each other i think it 
is very true to the Janeway character that this would be one of her heroes, let's say. Uh, and that it'd be because, again, we have to deal with Star Trek believes that pop culture of 400 years ago is still very relevant, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know that I would say that necessarily. Well, I think that in the, I mean, I'll look, well, I'll look at it this way. I will say that, that in general, if you look at the ways in which Star Trek approaches pop culture, I, it doesn't yeah. ever really talk about what we would consider pop culture. I mean, TNG was filled with people that listened to nothing but classical music. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm, I guess, I guess what I mean. And yes, as that, you know, I, I, I get it's a sci-fi convention why they aren't really really re, why they aren't making references to stuff that came out in universe a couple of years prior but uh and and yes it is I don't know just see Amelia Earhart just seems like a strange and distant person for Janeway to take as a hero that said Amelia Earhart's story and her you know courage and will are certainly qualities that Janeway does exhibit and sees in herself and would have inspired her to. It, it's not a, not, I, I don't feel like I, yeah. I, I guess, I guess at the end of the day, while I do feel like, I do feel like many of the criticisms I would have of this episode are kind of nitpicks because while it wasn't a great one, it wasn't a bad one. And I wouldn't say anything failed terminally in it. No. And I, I mean, I actually think that the episode even will answer your criticism of that to, to some degree because Paris doesn't know who Amelia Earhart is. Or, yeah, or that's Kim, true. I think. What one of the two does Paris or Kim, whichever one it is, they're interchangeable. I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh they could they swap each other's lines on set without telling anyone and no one says anything <laughs> about it. Um, on April that, Fools that... they do each other they sit at each other's uh stations and no one notices. <laughs> yeah, they swap they don't even change uniforms. They're just like whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh that, you know, they don't know who, who Amelia Earhart is. It doesn't seem like yeah, in the 24th fair. century that Amelia Earhart is some sort of, you know, massive hero or, or, or some sort of thing that a lot of people know about. I think I like the fact that, that Janeway knows who Earhart is and that yeah. this is a personal hero of Janeway's, a personal inspiration of Janeway's. You know, I think that one of the things that, that is perhaps not relevant for us to talk about in this episode particularly, or maybe it is, I don't know is is Janeway as a feminist icon and I think it's it's done in a very interesting way even in this episode where Janeway is not someone who is stridently walking around yeah. making points about female equality we're not talking about a league of our own here what what we are talking about is a show that is taking the very same approach that I think something like Captain Cisco in DS9 hmm. took a black man in charge of a space station where it's a non it's a non issue in the yeah. 24th century but because it's a non-issue, it is making the point to 20, 20th and 21st century people that are watching this show. And I think that that's part of the reason why they pick Amelia Earhart. Yes. That, that especially in Earhart's day, again, she is unquestioned. Nobody questions Earhart's competence or her ability to fly planes. She was legitimately the real thing in a way, even though she did, you know, have some criticisms of her in her time and probably had a very and legitimately had a very difficult time getting started i mean she didn't start off as amelia Earhart on day one right uh she had to learn to fly a plane girls shouldn't fly planes that kind of a thing uh by the time and by by girls you mean children (laughs) well i I, i'm just saying when amelia Earhart was young and learning to fly a plane she would have been called a girl no matter what age right yes that is true oh yeah i see what you're saying Yeah, Yeah, yeah um 
when Janeway decides in her youth, I'm going to go into Starfleet Academy and her career ultimately takes her to becoming a captain, she does not face that uh, that bias or that those same obstacles by the time that she is there. Um, people just see, yes, you're very good at sciencing and you're a very good leader. So, hey, you're captain now. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, And I think Amelia Earhart kind of picks up on that. Now, mm. I, I don't know to what degree it's interesting to actually talk about the character of Amelia Earhart. I mean, I think the performance is fine. I don't know that it's really a person, though. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, it's a... It's more the idea of Amelia Earhart than anything else. And the idea that she would stay behind on Voyager is very quickly dispensed with because it would just... Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, it would just, I mean, can you imagine <laughs> a version of this show that suddenly had Amelia Earhart as a main character for the next six years? Like, that would be very bizarre. I mean, it, it is the kind of thing where I could see a science fiction show using a character like that. A, I, I think that I, I, I'm surprised if there are no science fiction shows that have done that, that, all right, well, here is a historical character. And it turns out they were, a, who, you know, disappeared mysteriously in real life and they were abducted by aliens and now they're on their ship. I mean, Hell, Star Trek had Mark Twain on the Enterprise, right? So yeah, that is true. Yeah, and there there is nothing to stop them from actually hiring this actress full time to be. I did. I was not surprised when it turned out that she did not stay on Voyager. That didn't uh, surprise me at all. I knew she wasn't going to be a main cast member, but yeah, yeah. Now, now aside from Amelia Earhart, though, I, I don't think that there's really much to say about the 37s. I mean, they're, they're just a plot device essentially. And I think that Fred is obstinate and Fred is, ob- I mean, they've got the whole thing about them taking them hostage, I guess, because the episode was running seven minutes short yeah. and it doesn't really go anywhere. I think in some sense it goes to show you exactly how, precarious Voyager situation is because of course they don't, I mean, he doesn't believe Janeway. Why would you? It seems crazy. And, and then you get this whole other thing about them being kidnapped by these aliens, the Briori that came to the alpha quadrant in 1937 and took people from earth as slave labor. This seems incredibly, Yes, labor. This seems incredibly labor intensive, <laughs> and not perhaps the best return on your investment. Uh, yeah, right. I um, especially because we're talking the Delta Quadrant to the Alpha Quadrant. This you could look at real world slavery, and yes, said and say yes, people went to Africa, kidnapped people, and brought them to the New World. But that even as even as labor intensive as that journey was, yeah, this this makes no sense. There are plenty of other aliens in the area that but yeah this is where it seemed like they had almost two episodes that they wanted to weld together somehow but i actually think this might have worked well as a two-parter i I think that having the first part of the episode be the character study of amelia Earhart discovering these frozen people from 1937 having the cliffhanger be oh my god there's a human civilization on this planet and then the second the second part of the episode is is a very in-depth examination character study of of these people wanting to stay or not and having that internal debate i think that could have worked Yeah, because that's not what they did but yeah the first episode being the mysteries and if the tensions were padded out the mystery is what drives it and then once it's solved, the, yeah, because the episode doesn't really give the proper consideration either to the actiony mystery. We're being held hostage. We're being shot at. 
or the it, should we give up now? Should we continue risking for our true home when we've got a fairly decent facsimile here? What is the right thing to do? Can yeah. we always? Yeah. And a, again, a question which came up in Prime Factors, but which I think will come up again and again every so often through this series because it is a their journey is very long. And yes, maybe they're during Prime Factors, they're six months in. You know, it's an easier question to answer now it's a little over a year and they still they still have 74 years to go what's going to happen in five years do we still want to continue doing this journey that may be fruitless i i think so because i I mean that that's a good segue into my other question to you which is that do you find it believable that at the end of the episode there is no one in that cargo bay you know it didn't surprise me that the cargo bay turns out to be open i knew that that was what was going to happen that is the star trek answer to happen and there are certain characters, for example, Neelix, when he's, they're asking him, oh, are you, and he, it isn't even a question for him. He's, feels useful here. He, he is, it's his home, especially after what we learned about his backstory. He has viewed home, but, but it's interesting because he has kind of made the trade. Home is an impossible goal for him to go, and this is the best, closest thing. This is the place where he is very comfortable and he's finding a use and, has managed to build a life for himself and Cass. So, but, and again, I can, I, 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 and maybe the, maybe this two-parter version of this episode could have had these characters have arcs. I would like to see Harry Kim's full thought process from, hey, this is really nice and being on the ship kind of sucks to, but why am I staying? Why are all these different characters choosing to stay? You could do very meaty character stuff, but since the, episode really only has five to ten minutes to go over the over this it feels very brief yeah i mean i would agree with that i i think that to some degree i i wonder about the fact that no one decided to stay and and i think it feels a little tv-ish that no one decides to stay it doesn't feel realistic to me that that not even one person said hey you know what actually i don't want to go on the 75 year journey living on a spaceship that's going to get real old, even if we do have yeah. a, a magic a magical holodeck. So, yeah, I think it's a little it's a little bit of a cheat. However, you could make the argument that it has only been I, I don't know yeah. exactly how long it's been. It's been eight months. It's been a year. Yeah, however long it's been, they have not been living on the spaceship for that long yet, and so they may not be tired of it. Yeah, or if they they still think it may be they may be at the hat. We again, we know that this is. We're beginning year two of seven. We know they have a long way to go. Um, yeah. As far as anybody knows, they're a week from finding the next care, the other caretaker and getting beamed back home immediately. And I guess that's really the the, the question, though, to, to me, is that because you get that. I mean, the one the one moment that you get is that scene between uh, Harry Kim and Belana Torres when they're talking about, you know, would you stay? Would you yeah. stay? And they kind of say that they're both tempted to. It's a very nice place. It reminds them of home. It's the closest to home that they found so far, which completely makes sense because it's a human civilization. Yeah. But I both of them obviously are not going to stay because they are senior officers and they feel a responsibility and they do want to go home now also they also they showed them their contract and they're like you're you signed on for the rest <laughs> of the for another few years so yeah can't leave you <laughs> your main cast members but i i do 
the question that I always have is, is you know, Janeway has this very interesting moment where she's talking to Chakotay in her ready room yeah. about how how many crew members could we lose and still be able to operate the ship? And and she says, could we operate it with 70 or something like that? And I think they yeah. say they have 152 people on the ship right now. So that's essentially losing a little more than half of your uh, yeah, crew Yeah, I think they say we can't lo- do it with any less than 100. So 50 people is about the most that, yeah. Right. So so we don't actually get to hear Janeway's announcement to the ship, which I think is also a missed opportunity because to me, I look at this and I say, maybe no one stayed behind because Janeway didn't tell them that they could leave. Like, I, I don't know. It just seems weird to me that Janeway wouldn't say, okay, here's, here's the deal, people. We yeah. have this wonderful place that we could all live. Uh, we have a minimum crew complement that we need to keep of a hundred yeah. people. If if more than fifty two people decide to leave, we all have to stay. Uh, make your choice based on this information. Yeah, if a <laughs> if a dozen people said we're you know we're going to leave and they turn out to be, for example, a couple of the Maquis from uh, the from learning curve who weren't really fitting in, if it's People who are, if it's not senior officers, if it's people that they could replace and retrain and everybody else does want to stay, the implication in the Chakotay and Janeway conversation is that's not going to be a huge problem. Right. That, and that's kind of my point with it is like, you know, if maybe no one decided to stay because they were afraid yeah. that if they stayed, the ship wouldn't be able to operate. Maybe if they had that information, they, uh, you know, like you said, a dozen people would have stayed. I, I don't know. Now, obviously, it makes a more dramatic point if no one leaves because that means that they're all very invested in this journey it's yeah. the new se- you know it's the season ender or the new season depending on <laughs> when it's aired and and so they don't want anybody to leave because that kind of undercuts the the motivation or the the momentum of the show i get that and i think it's not necessarily a problem that no one decided to stay you could it it, it is again the we're talking about an imaginary episode but maybe the hour-long version of this episode had the half dozen people and maybe they even are in the cargo hold and they talk themselves out like i don't know but i guess it leads it's us to these little imaginative moments but the point is that everybody is still on the voyager by the end yeah exactly now uh the last question i have for you before we move on to initiations is the Briori have this technology that obviously means that they can travel very quickly to the to the Alpha Quadrant because they were going there for they had some sort of like intergalactic slave yeah. trade going on. So we've never heard about the Briori before. That's fine. It seems like they just kind of left and never came back. Does that seem realistic? I don't know. Oh uh, yeah, but, you get the sense that they were just finally defeated, and I, I the episode seems to imply they're never coming back. But so we've already got two species essentially that can essentially travel 70,000 light years like Voyager can travel between solar systems. That means that there are at least two human, uh, two alien civilizations that have much, 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 much faster than light travel than Voyager or the Federation have, or that anybody in the Alpha Quadrant has, because we've never seen any other alien race. I don't believe that has this kind of propulsion technology. Uh, The Borg, maybe the Borg, maybe. Yeah, that's true. So, in terms, but they, you know, where are they from? We don't know. I mean, you know that they kind of found they, they, they do have the Borg in the show. Yeah, later. and I remember. So, well, I remember the uh, uh, um, where what when uh, is it, it wasn't at some point there was a reference to Borg in the Delta Quadrant as being is that where they are in the time of TNG, 
And uh, yeah, I think the, so. I, I, I seem to remember the events of Q who spur the Borg to travel faster to the Alpha Quadrant. And so, so uh, e- either way, I assume that there, I mean, I, I, I'm going to put it right out there. Knowing the Borg are in Voyager, I am wondering if the way they get home is they somehow manage to use Borg technology to do. I That's going to be my theory for the season but series but. yeah yeah no that makes sense yeah and i so i guess i don't know if it's really a question more of an observation yeah. but I, I just find it interesting that we we've never had any inclination that any alien species except for perhaps the borg have this sort of propulsion technology but we've already seen two others that mm-hmm. do is i i think it's more a matter of the show wanting to show that it's possible without them necessarily being able to do it than it is any sort of commentary on the technological abilities of the Alpha Quadrant species. I just find it interesting. I mean, that said, it could feed back into why nobody decides to stay on the planet. I mean, there could be a line to the effect of, we've already heard the remnant, found the remnants of two civilizations that have this technology, and we've been at this a year. We yeah. may strike it. Maybe we will meet some Briori. Maybe we will meet the... Uh, but this exists. We're seeing more evidence of this in this place. That that could certainly be, yeah. Yeah. Now, I lied. The last thing I want to ask you about, because we would be remiss if we did not talk about the fact that Voyager can land. Oh, yeah. Is that the... That's one of the first, if not the first time we've seen a starship land? I think it's the first time uh, we've seen them crash, but yeah, I I, I remember. I mean, the bird, the bird of prey in Star Trek Four can land, but that's yeah. I thought it was funny how uh, immediately, like how they're making such a big deal about oh, how do we land this thing? And I was thinking, but they landed all, and realizing no, actually they don't. It is I I I I don't know if it means anything other than somebody j- just looked at the series and realized due to the nature of transporters, we've never seen it starship land and maybe it would just be cool to do that and we can have a joke about how even though these people are accomplished pilots this is literally the one thing no one's ever done because you never need to yeah yeah i mean i think yeah i kind of feel like the implication is that voyager is maybe one of the first federation starship designs that has the ability to land on a planet because of course that's a lot of different stress and 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 gravities and things like that Yeah, yeah You know, I don't think that there's really much to say about it, but I think it's interesting that Voyager can do it. And I like the fact that they come up with this new blue alert thing that apparently is the ship is landing. So I don't know, put a seatbelt on, like whatever it is. But it's just kind of a nice moment. And I think it's something that differentiates the, the, the ship from other ships that we've seen before. Yeah. Good old Voyager. Good old Voyager. All right. Well, let's move on to initiations which I think is a better episode than the 37s, yeah. but also has some problems. Well, uh, Nog is really weird in this episode. <laughs> okay, so you did notice that it was Aaron Eisenberg. Of Good. course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's nice to see him getting work. The Kazon. In a lot yes. of ways, the Kazon reminded me of original series Klingons if they had been done with 90s-era world building. In other words, they are... They are start. We are starting to see some differences between them and the Klingons. The Kazon don't seem to have as much ritualization or 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 or, or more uh, religious things. They seem like a very non-religious version of Klingons. Um, they don't really seem to have. Uh, I, again, we've only seen a little bit of them so far, but I don't think that they're defined by their art and their passion in the way that the Klingons are. 
Um, yeah. I mean, I would say so far, uh, this episode obviously goes a, a long way towards differentiating the, the Kazon from, from the Klingons. And I think also telling us more about, about who they are, because to me, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that, that they are not one empire. I mean, we've never really seen that before in Star Trek. Alien species generally track yeah. onto polities, and that's just how things go in Star Trek. And so the Kazon are one of the only alien races that we've ever encountered in Star Trek that 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 are spacefaring that also have different sects. And so I think that's interesting. It makes them more paranoid. It makes them more combative. It it perhaps makes mm-hmm. them out to be uh, less powerful than they otherwise would be. I don't know. And I mean, they there's a couple of weirdly telling lines in here. Like at one point they ask how they say, what's your territory? Maps are useless. The territory changes every day. Okay, well, how many groups of you are there? Right now it's 18, but that changes all the time too. Like, this chaos is horrible. I mean, this is something that would never... Uh, uh, Klingons are fighting against each other all the time, but I can't see them handling this amount of chaos in their in in their life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true. And I, and I, I, you know, we don't know as much about the Kazon as perhaps we would like to, but, but it seems to me that... Uh, the, you know, we we find out in this episode that the Kazon and the species called the Trabe had shared a homeworld. Now, we don't know if the Kazon and the Trabe both evolved on this planet or if the Kazon were brought there, if the Trabe were brought there. We don't really know. Yeah, wasn't but that mentioned in the very pilot, I think, that they had destroyed the other people in their homeworld or something? I think so. They briefly yeah. mentioned it. They didn't kind of give... They gave a little bit more yeah. information about it in this episode, including the sort of rebellion and the name of the species. And so maybe the Kazon don't have a world they live on. It seems like maybe all the Kazon are spacefaring and they live in space. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you even get the sense that they, I mean, can't you picture humanity going this route? I mean, getting very divided country-wise. Every country has its own space or region has its own space program and they will have their own colonies and it will be, you know, we're going to all probably try and colonize Mars together, but then... Once that's done, we will assumedly have the tech to pick a planet and go for it. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, I, I don't think that's too far off from how things are right now. Now, in terms of the Kazon, though, I mean, I think that that we don't really get a sense of what the other Kazon sects are like. We know that there's the Nistrum, which I think are the ones that we've seen in previous episodes of the show. Uh, we also have the the Ogla, which are the ones that we see in this episode. And then we have the Relora, which is another sect that we don't see. And they say that there's 18 sects. They say that they kind of go all over the place. And, uh, you know, I mentioned very, very early on in the Voyager podcast that the initial conception of the Kazon was that they were going to be some sort of uh, analog or commentary on the gangs of Los Angeles. Huh. And I guess you can kind of see that in this episode where the idea that the Kazon don't really have territorial maps because they are essentially gangs. They are not actually polities. They are not any sort of empire. And so their territorial claims will change depending on how they're feeling that day and what they need. And they seem to be fighting internally a lot, externally a lot, both in terms of the Kazon and in terms of other species. And, you know, I don't know where they're going to go with that, but... Well, I, and guess, I don't know that they use it very well in this episode either. Well, I was about to say, one of my questions is, so I do like the makeup work on the Kazon. I like their weird hair stuff. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's a nice design, but 
we have seen at least two groups of them, and is there any differentiation? So in other words, there's no physical differentiation. It's not like they're different species or races within the... They don't even seem to have different fashion styles or anything like that. How do we know? Is there any visual shorthand that I've just missed for what one Kazon... What, what is the term? Tribe? Group? Uh, Sect, I think they call them. Uh, what is there any shorthand indication for what sect a Kazon belongs to, or do we just does it not really matter, and it's just whatever the episode says? I think it's the color of the handkerchief they keep in their back pocket. No, no, that just says whether they. <laughs> Which, that says whether the that says whether, yeah, the, whether the top or bottom or fist. Yeah, I know, I know. No, I I don't know. I don't know if there is, and I I, I think that that might be a, a failing on the part of the show not yeah. not to do that. Then again, I don't know that much about gangs so i don't know if gangs i mean i think gangs have colors i sound i sound really (laughs) white right now i apologize but no but i mean even in show um, any show i've ever seen with gang stuff has at least done some television stuff to differentiate again for the for the benefit of the audience at least i i feel like they don't have to be accurate to that part if they're uh, trying to give information to the viewer i don't know well, maybe that's part of the the point of the case on then is that you know why why do gangs exist? Why do different gangs yeah. exist? Well, different gangs exist because in, in impoverished areas of of cities in America, when people don't have a lot of things, they don't have a lot of material possessions, they don't have a lot of opportunities. They get very insular. They try and protect what they have. It becomes smaller and smaller. It makes sense, right? And so in terms of the Kazon, I think maybe they're making a commentary on that where the Kazon really aren't that different from each other. They don't even really seem to have any sort of external indicators of who they are. Things change all the time. It's very chaotic. They're killing each other. They're getting into fights. It's a very sort of hand-to-mouth culture, it seems like. And that might just be the point that they're yeah. trying to make that the Kazon are doing this for no real reason. And it's a shame that they don't just band together and yeah, become but you, like the Federation. And, and obviously what is happening for these sex to appear is a particularly ambitious Kazon decides to start his own kind of a thing is I assume what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would think that that would be the case where a Kazon Maj, I think they call them, uh, just go off and steal a ship or whatever. And then they've got a new sect. Yeah. I, you know, that seems reasonable to me. Well, again, Nog, and, which Nog in this episode, you can see him splitting off and forming his own group someday, maybe. Yeah, it's possible. Certainly. Yeah. And and I mean, I don't know. Aside, aside from that, I, I think that Initiations is a really interesting episode because it's the first Chakotay episode we've had. Yeah. How you feel yeah. about Chakotay? Do you feel like you know him better now? A little better, yeah. I, I, I think there, it is very in line with everything that we've seen him doing, which is that Chakotay will try to do the right. Ch- Chakotay is very lawfully aligned, and he has very extraordinarily strong principles, and he is going to follow through them, even though it may not be the best idea. He would. Uh, in other words, you would you may not necessarily see Tuvok grabbing Nog and be like, "Come on, we're getting out of here. We'll figure this out." You know, you you. But that that is something definitely Chakotay would want to do. And yet at the same time, he is because of his background very comfortable in dangerous, fucked up situations, in situations where there is a lot of jockeying for power. Chakotay is usually very good at figuring out when. 
in other words, uh, and this is another learning curve moment. Sometimes you just need to punch a dude in the face in order for to re- he's good in those kind of situations too. He can, yeah, he would probably do well on a Klingon ship in a way. He and Riker probably have a lot in common in that way. I actually think that's a good point. Yeah, I think that Chakotay is someone who who you're right could do well on a Klingon yeah. ship. He's someone who's very adaptable. I, I think it's interesting. I mean, he seems, I like him in this episode a lot because he comes across as very gentle. He comes across as yeah. very life-affirming. I think that obviously comes from his spirituality, which we will talk about because I have some information for all of you that if you did not know this, and I know, <laughs> I know it, what so, it is. <laughs> yeah, I told Richard about it. And we'll get to it in a minute. It's a good opportunity for us to finally talk about it because this episode does feature Chakotay's Indian spirituality, quote unquote, quite a bit. Yeah. That he's a very spiritual person. He is someone who is very uh, peaceful. He is someone who does not... uh, he, He does not suffer violence very easily. He's not someone who is interested in inflicting pain for the sake of inflicting pain. And I think you see that in his disabling of the ship yeah beaming a car over all of these things right i i think that it works i think that chakotay is interesting i i don't yeah. know why he would have joined the maquis but it makes it seem more uh well, maybe not a desperate attempt to do something but he seems like it might have been a last ditch effort I, I don't know i don't know i i, I again chakotay is somebody who wants to do the right thing and who is comfortable with violence if it is the last resort and the only resort. And again, I think in terms of the Maquis, he was probably working more towards defending and supplies and stuff like that rather than, I mean, sure. he, was, he wasn't going on raids towards the Cardassians and he wasn't plotting against the Federation and he was definitely trying to make all sides happy. I mean, we've met Maquis people who were more willing to work with the Federation, who lamented the fact that they and the Federation didn't agree anymore, as well as we've met pro people who are like, oh, this stupid Federation's not doing enough for us, and, you know, whatever, fuck them. Chakotay is definitely in the first category, and I think, I mean, you very much get the sense that if he had stayed with Starfleet, he would be the first officer by now anyway, and there is almost mm-hmm. a sense of... Re- uh, of the universe writing itself in that he is able to f- he he gets in this weird position where he is he has the starfleet career he ought to have had because this is the starfleet career he he is demonstrating that he deserves yeah i mean i i think that there's there's two things there obviously that that number one is that chakotay has a very defined moral center and a moral code for himself and but he also, in this episode, when he's talking to Carr about the Federation and the uniform and how it's very similar to the ways in which the Kazon get their names, that but it's a different process, obviously, because the Kazon have to murder somebody. And in the Federation, <laughs> you have to go to Starfleet Academy and do a lot of learning and tests and training. And you don't just get a hand at a uniform when you're born. I was, so, so in other words, the Starfleet has it harder, is basically what he's saying. <laughs> basically, yeah. But but I think that that it that scene is really key to me because it shows that Chakotay still identifies very strongly with Starfleet yeah. and very strongly with the Federation, and he did not talk about being a Maquis with Carr at all. Now, partly he didn't talk about it because that would confuse the hell out of yeah. Carr. And what what does Carr know about the internal politics <laughs> of the Federation? But it's also a very very striking moment because it means that Chakotay has come around to the Starfleet side and that. Well, 
perhaps he did not leave Starfleet willingly or at least easily. It seems like, again, he's a very gentle person. He's a, someone who understands Starfleet rules and regulations and the procedures very well, the morality, the code of Starfleet and the Federation. Yeah. And that for him, the what was going on in the demilitarized zone with the Cardassians and the Federation was a moral calling for him to do something about. Yeah, so, in other words, Starfleet was the one who was failing to live up to their obligations. We've seen that attitude in several people in DS9 already, but I think Chakotay could have the case from his point of view that I was the one who was doing everything right, and it was the officers at Starfleet who were doing the wrong thing, who were committing Mm -hmm. these sins of omission, and as hard as it was to leave, I had to follow the conscience. And now he is with a commander that he... And now he is with a captain that he feels it does exemplify the values of Starfleet in a way that he can he can, he can follow. Yeah, I think that's right because the 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 other thing that always strikes me about Chakotay is that we've seen a lot of other Maquis members both in in Voyager and in in Deep Space 9 and in TNG for that matter. And I think for most of them they had a deep core of anger that you don't see in Chakotay. Yeah. I mean think, yeah. think to Eddington or or uh, uh, Cal from from the two parter, the Maquis from DS Nine, or think even of someone like Ensign Rowe, who always had this sort of yeah uh, core of anger that was that was barely contained. And Chakotay doesn't have that. He doesn't seem to. Not that he's not capable of anger, no, but, but I think but, he's more like the old guy in uh, that in Ensign Rowe's episode, uh, who is very much a community leader. He's dealing with supplies. He is doing the right thing, even though it is beyond the bounds of the law and it is uh, like he 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 has more in common with that it's true yeah no i think that's right and it's a good opportunity for the show to to flesh out chakotay's character i think because this episode tells us a lot more about who he is than than any of the other episodes of the show has so far well it is good that we have a show that's somebody's episode where they are the focus of their own episode i was Worried that the show would elide Chakotay a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that that's not a not an uh, not an unwarranted fear. I'll <laughs> just leave it leave it at that. Now, I, we would be remiss if we did not deal with the Native American stuff. Um, so, so this is an interesting story. <laughs> I had always kind of been very, very confused by Chakotay's generic Indian tribe spirituality beliefs practices. And I didn't really understand why. I thought, okay, here is a Star Trek show that is very committed to showing the diversity in human cultures, showing the diversity in in alien cultures, and is going to have a Native American, American Indian character in the show as a main character. That's very interesting to me. But then why would they not do their homework and Mm. have the character of Chakotay be a member of an actual tribe, do the research, have his beliefs, his practices, his spirituality be actually related to that tribe, right? See, on the one hand, I, not to interrupt too much, I can sort of, the argument in favor of making it a little more syncretic and more ambiguous would be because... Is to be racist? Well, yes, to be racist. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. Is it, it? Maybe this is just asking a question as a devil's advocate, but if you have just a more general spirituality or culture that is based on a few things which could accommodate for number one 
countries aren't as important in the Star Trek universe and the Star in the Federation as they are in our world now. And so you could see the divisions melding, it's shifting a little bit, especially over the course of hundreds of years. And also so that you can make changes such as, for example, this uh, device that he has, which is essentially technological peyote, right? You can invent that kind of a detail into a start into a science fiction universe, but without actually touching the traditions that it is. Uh, in other words, if you're putting technological solutions to uh, Navajo rituals, that is a little more disrespectful towards the Navajo than if you're, it's diluted a bit by making it more, I don't know. Is that a bullshit I, line? I, I think it is. And I think okay. it's, it is for, for, for two reasons. Number one is, what I will say in a minute, the where I was going. The other, the other thing is that I, I think that you could get away with that if American culture for mm. six hundred years had mm. not systematically ignored, uh, uh, destroyed, committed genocide on, on on Native American culture, people, lands, everything. Right? I think that that there's an ignorance to the the Native peoples of America. That, that you don't see even in places like Australia or Canada. And you, I, I think that if you had a character who was born in what we would consider to be Italy, right, who said, I'm European, and they were generic, and they ate baguettes, yeah. and they, you know, I think you could do that because there is an understanding of what it means to be Italian, of what it means to be Spanish, of what it means to be Croatian, of what it means to be English, that that says, oh, look at this. Okay, we had these different groups, these different tribes, to use a Native American terminology, that slowly came together in a more European understanding. Mm. And that is not born out of a place of racism or ignorance. That's born out of a place of the, the optimism of Star Trek. Whereas, and out of a place of somebody who is Italian and eating baguettes and... Uh going walking along the Thames as somebody who is going to come off as very cosmopolitan and very yes. well traveled. Yes, whereas with Chakotay it just comes across as lazy and uninformed because Americans don't know anything about different American Indian cultures to to a large yeah. degree. And the other reason of course is that that's exactly what happened <laughs> is that appar- apparently Star Trek Voyager hired a "Quote unquote Native American expert who was a fraud and and who did not know anything about Native American cultures, did not know anything about the different tribes. Was and he Native American himself? No, he lied oh about being an Indian. Apparently, and so this so, isn't even like you know hiring me as a Catholic expert and I've forgotten half of the stuff and I am not an authority, but I can vaguely claim it. This is just this is like me claiming to be a Native American expert, basically." Pretty much, yeah, and and so that is that is precisely the reason why Ch- that why the character of Chakotay is wow. so weird. When did they find that out? I don't know. I don't know if they ever did. I have never heard anybody involved in the production of Star Trek Voyager that has said any has said one word about it. So yeah, because you think if it was if it was during the course of the show, they would have fired and and found somebody else frankly that that you would think so well yeah. to to a certain degree though at, at some point it, it becomes a, a, a impossibility to yeah. fix though because you know you've got 
Chakotay saying things like Pakra. You've got him saying things like Hakuchi Moya. Like, I don't know if that's even real. Who the hell knows? I mean, that could be like Haagen-Dazs. I don't know. But that's the problem is that Chakotay's belief system seems very, uh, uh, seems very schizophrenic be- because it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not blaming no, it, the production staff of Star Trek Voyager necessarily. Although, I mean, they should have done a background a little, check. They, yeah, I mean, they could have read his CV and called the university he was associated with, right? Yeah, like apparently, even at the time in 1994, 1995, that they were developing these characters, I think the guy had already been revealed as a fraud. Now, of course, oh, you can make the argument that you know the internet did not exist in the same form that it did today. It was not. It was not ubiquitous. And that people did not have the kind of access to information and the kind of access to vetting that people do now. It was a lot harder to do that kind of research, but they should have still done it. I mean, I also feel like this is probably a relatively narrow field, too. So it's, you know, Native American consulting is probably a small enough field where a lot of people do know each other. And you probably could get your references done pretty easily. I don't know. It did... uh, I wasn't there, but it does seem like laziness on their it's, part. Yeah, it seems a little problematic. <laughs> well, aside from that, I think, I mean, is there anything else to say about initiations? I think it's a strong Chakotay episode. I think that it develops the Kazon a little bit more. The rest well, of guess, the characters. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, the one thing I have to, this is the second time that, we, now, of course, the initial plan that Chakotay comes up with, you're going to shoot me, they'll see that you killed me, and that you know, turns out to not be the case. He turns or, turns on the guy who was being an asshole to him. He's like, all right, I just earned my name, which turns out, which is answering the... I mean, Ch- Chakotay comes with a Federation solution. He comes up with a Kazon solution, and I do like that. But the, the TNG version of this episode would have involved all of these illusions and tricks and stuff. I mean, the Federation is much more technologically advanced sure. than the Kazon to make it look like he had killed him. In the, in in Voyager, Chakotay is saying, no, you're actually going to kill me. They're going to transport me and revive me. And which is the second time in this series that a plan has revolved around, you're going to actually, actually kill me. And then revive me in sickbay because we can do that. I think that's not – number one, it it speaks to the technological advancement of the doctor, of all of that. But also makes the Voyager crew a little more badass in a way because they, <laughs> they, 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 they are so committed to this plan that they could fucking die if, they, if that's the best way to get through it. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a good point, actually. Yeah, I, I mean, and 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 also that that I think that they have just this confidence in the doctor's ability, yeah. to, to pull this off. I mean, he's already done it twice. I mean, with, exactly. with the the woman from Emanations and for from Kim. So yeah. he's he's created a holographic lung for Neelix. I mean, he seems like he's a pretty good doctor. So yeah, yeah. No, and, and, which also says to the doctor because again, at first he was having a little t- trouble getting uh, getting integrated into the crew, and by this point they have this trust in him. They know him. He's an actual person. He's gotten over that particular hump. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a good point. All right. Is there anything else to say about initiations? No, thank you. All right. Well, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of Star Trek Voyager, we just watched, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, which is a way for you to donate monthly to the podcast. If you are enjoying it, please go do that. Patreon.com slash Trekaboutshow. Also supports our other podcasts tuning in. 
We are almost at the end of the first season of The X-Files, so it's still a good time to jump into that. This week, we're talking about the episodes Tombs and Born Again. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Truck About Show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review for Truck About. It is the best way for new people to find the show. Next week, we are going to be talking about the Star Trek Voyager episodes, Projections, and Elosium. Oh, one, at least one of those is one of the season one episodes. I think both of them are. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs>